Please, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you can cast your mind back quite a few months, uh, earlier this year we considered the first few verses of chapter 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. We were considering what are called the household codes or household instructions. And in, the, in this text, we learned that being a Christian, living unto the Lord, should not be reserved for Sundays, should not just be something we do on a Sunday. As glorious as it is to do as Christ's body assembled and gathered, what these texts teach us is that we must be more than Sunday Christians. We should be Monday Christians as well. We should be Christians every day of the week, whether that's in this church building with our brothers and sisters or out there in the world. And tonight we're continuing to look at the theme of being Monday Christians as it relates specifically to bond servants and masters, slaves and masters. How do those live as Monday Christians? How do workers, those under authority in the workplace, work unto the Lord? How do masters, those who hold authority over others in the workplace, rule as unto the Lord? How do employees and employers act not only on Sunday when they're at church, but on Monday and every day of the week. But before we can properly dive into answering those questions, there is somewhat of a a stumbling block some find when considering this text that I think we should consider. And that is the fact that Paul is addressing slaves over here. The ESV translates it as bond servants, as does the New King James Version. The KJV has servants, and every other translation just simply has Slaves. So before we can apply this text to ourselves, we should perhaps ask ourselves, can we even apply to ourselves if we are not slaves? How do we get over this, this social hurdle um, of interacting with this, this text? Does Paul endorse slavery? Perhaps that's the question we should be asking. And the simple answer to that is no. Paul does not endorse or support slavery. There are no exhortations or imperatives or commands given in this text, in Ephesians 6 or any other text that relates um, to tell us that we must have slaves, that we should have slaves. So to say that the Bible endorses or supports slavery would not quite be fair to what the Bible is telling us. But the second thing we should say is that the Bible does have something to say to those who kidnap and enslave people. The Bible has very strong words to that. In 1 Timothy 1.10, Paul lists various people for whom the law was given, And he mentions the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and along with them, he mentions enslavers, literally kidnappers, those who deal in slavery. They kidnap people and sell them. Suppose you can say human traffickers, someone who steals someone for the purpose of selling them into slavery. And the Bible condemns that unequivocally and categorically. But third... We must, take, we must make an important observation about the differences in slavery in Paul's day versus the slavery that most of us are more recently connected with. Most of us watch movies about the slave trade that happened, the Atlantic slave trade in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, and that's the more immediate context that we are familiar with, the more immediate historical and cultural context. context. But that's not the way that slaves were treated in the first century. Firstly, Slaves in the first century were often well-educated, were encouraged to be educated, and were often better educated than their masters. Um, Slaves could own land and could even have slaves working for them. Slaves often occupied positions of great authority and status. So, for example, in Romans 16, 
um, Erastus is addressed, and many commentators believe that this Erastus was a slave, and he is called the city treasurer. That's like being the governor of Johannesburg and being a slave. Um, race was not a factor of whether someone became a slave. People often willingly sold themselves into slavery in order to get out of hard economic situations. And there was no law against the public assembly of slaves. Slaves could religion they wanted. And most slaves in the Greco-Roman world could expect their freedom by the age of 30. So that's very different to the kind of slavery that, that we are more immediately acquainted with. Now, this is not to say, again, that slavery is being endorsed. This is not to say that it's being supported. There, of course, were abuses in, they, in that day. It wasn't all rosy. The act of owning someone like property and treating them like property and them having no freedom to, to decide their own um, economic life, that's not condoned by the Bible in the slightest. But what all this shows us is that we are justified, I think, in applying what is written to bondservants to us. Even though there is, yes, a bit of a historical gap, a cultural gap, nonetheless, when Paul is referring to bondservants here, he's not referring to a class of society per se. He is referring to workers. He's referring to those who are under authority. Many of you, I'm sure, in your work situation feel like, I have a lot to relate with, okay? I'm not going to be free by the time I'm 30. I have to wait till I'm 65 <laughs> before I'm free, all right? But nonetheless, I hope, I hope that we've put this possible stumbling block to one side, and now we can allow this text, we can allow the authority of God to speak to us through this text. So what does Paul say to bondservants? What does he say to those who work unto the Lord? Well, let's see what he says there in verse 22. He says, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, what Paul says here to bondservants is consistent with the pattern that he's already established from the beginning of the section. He always addresses pairs of people within the household. He addresses wives who are under the authority of their husbands, and then he addresses husbands, those who hold authority over their wives. He then addresses children, those under the authority of their fathers, and then he mentions fathers, those over the authority of their fathers. And he says to children, obey in everything your fathers. And so essentially, Paul is saying the same thing to slaves here. But Paul now breaks somewhat with his pattern by saying a lot more to bondservants and to slaves, to workers, than he says to anyone else in the household. He fleshes out what it looks like to obey their earthly masters, how they are to obey their earthly masters, and he tells them to do so in two ways. Firstly, sincerely and by fearing the Lord. That's how we should work as unto the Lord. That's how we should work as Monday Christians. So firstly, how do we serve unto the Lord um, sincerely? Well, the first thing Paul says there says, obey those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. So he begins with a negative, not by way of eye service, or not only when they're watching, not only when you're in a Zoom call, not only when you're writing a report that you know is going to be looked at by someone. Don't obey your boss when they're watching, not only when you're at the office or when you're having a disciplinary hearing or when it's annual review and you're hoping for a bonus or an increase. Paul is saying, don't only serve by way of eye service just so that they can see you, but serve them all the time. Serve them for their interests. Christians shouldn't find themselves saying, the boss is coming, look busy. Okay, he's going to see us now, so now we better get to work. Christians are the ones who are working hard before he walks in the door. I think this is more of a challenge in our day with the prevalence of remote work. 
right? I work remotely a lot of the time, and it's, it's very easy um, to, to serve in a way that isn't with integrity and sincerity to my employer. In fact, polls were done, or, uh, you know, polls were done at the beginning of COVID time in North America to see how people are abusing some of these privileges. And apparently 70% of people admitted to working more than one remote job and nearly 40% admitted to working two full-time jobs. I mean, in my contract, it says that I am, I am not allowed to work full-time for someone else, and these people are working full-time for them, full-time for them, somehow managing to show face at just the right time, put out enough fires, be in the right meetings, say the right things, serve by way of eye service, and somehow fly under the radar. That's not the way Christians work. Just making sure they're in the right meetings. But Paul says that we must not serve by way of eye service, nor must we be people pleasers. That's the next negative example he gives. We mustn't be people pleasers. We mustn't be serving merely to curry favor with our boss, merely to get into their good books. We mustn't be those who seek to climb the corporate ladder simply by pleasing those around us. After all, those people who work simply for the sake of pleasing their boss are not ultimately the most productive. They're not honestly, at the end of the day, the hardest workers because they're not working for the product they're creating or the service they're offering. They're working ultimately for how they can get a raise. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Christians realize that their work is not a necessary evil in order to give us some spending money for the weekend so we could subscribe to Netflix and, and vegetate over the weekend. Work is a good gift from God. Yes, something that has become difficult and hard through, through sin coming into the world. But work is good. Service and work are ways to glorify God by stewarding creation. It's part of the creation mandate given in Genesis 1.28 to fill the earth, subdue it, and take dominion. And so we should work unto our masters with sincerity. So that's what Paul says next. He says, not by way of eye service, as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. The KJV says singleness of heart. It means literally to serve with integrity, to be consistent in the way that you serve. This way, what our boss sees is what they get. When their eye is on us, we're not behaving better than when their eye is not on us. You won't act one way when they're watching and then act another way when they aren't. You act with integrity and trustworthiness, seeking the good of your employer. To work with sincerity means not only to put your back into your work, but to put your heart into your work. And that's the first way that Paul tells us that we should work, with sincerity. And this there already might be quite a challenge for many of us, for whom even if we have all the perks and the salary that we might want, the best working environment we, we might want, it's difficult to work with sincerity sometimes. It's easy to treat our work as a necessary evil. But Paul is infusing even the most mundane tasks of our Monday Christian lifestyle with a Christian worldview, which is what he's concerned to do throughout the whole book of Colossians. But now that the second thing he says is not only must we serve with sincerity, but we must serve ultimately fearing the Lord. Okay. Paul isn't just being a, a sort of Simon Sinek and giving some worldly advice on how to be good employees. He is orient, orienting us towards the Lord. We are working unto the Lord. So he says we are to obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity, fearing the Lord. And he continues, whatever you do, 
work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Just glance a few verses earlier in verse 17, Paul says a similar thing. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. According to these verses, all of life ought to be brought under the lordship of Jesus, the one who died and rose again to purchase us, the one who rose to free us from our sin. Doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means that you bear his name as you work. It's as though you're a representative of his kingdom. You represent Jesus in the workplace. And especially for those who know that you are Christian, I think we understand that there is a responsibility to that. We work as unto the Lord because even in our work, we are still Christians. We don't stop being a Christian. Take a look at verse 24 as we continue, where we're told to serve the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. What do we usually expect to get from our work? Maybe some nice company benefits, a company phone, a company car, salary, wages, those kind of things. But Paul is saying that ultimately the reason why we serve is to inherit the reward that God has for us in Christ Jesus. In the context, what that's most likely referring to is entrance into the kingdom of God. Being there on that day when the kingdom is consummated and entering that in glory with the Lamb. Do we work as though we are part of that kingdom already? Or are we thinking more with earthly minds? You see, our work is unto the Lord because we are as much Christians when we are at church listening to a sermon as when we are out in the world working. There is nothing that changes in your identity and in your relationship with Jesus as you walk out those doors. You don't all of a sudden stop being justified. You don't all of a sudden stop having the Holy Spirit in you so that when you open up your laptop on Monday morning and you begin writing your report, that now you live by a different set of standards. As Christians, every day we live unto the Lord. Even those enslaved by earthly masters, the Bible tells us, are still free to choose whether they work with integrity. Even those who are in abject bondage to any kind of slavery are still free in Christ to live out of the law of Christ by his spirit. So that's how bond servants, that's how workers, that's how we and anyone under authority is commanded and exhorted by Paul to view our work, to obey in everything those who are earthly masters with sincerity and fearing the Lord. But as Paul does with wives and then husbands, with children and then fathers, he now doesn't leave the masters unaddressed. Notice that there are slaves and masters within the same Christian community, and there's some significance to that as well. It's not as though masters cannot be Christians. And what does Paul say to them? In 4 verse 1, this is where those chapter divisions aren't all that helpful. <laughs> chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, of course, this is a very clever play on words by Paul, because the word for master there is the same word that Paul uses for Lord. He's been using that word all throughout this passage. And so it's as though he could say, earthly lords... Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have the true Lord in heaven watching over you. Okay, It's as though he's saying your lordship doesn't come from you ultimately. Now, in the first century, these masters would most likely have been the same 
the same people mentioned earlier in the chapter, husbands and fathers in the household, and these bond servants would have operated within their households. So the application is actually quite broad here. Um, and Paul says less to masters, but what he says is, I think, no less convicting or challenging what he says to masters than what he said to slaves, because what he's reminding masters of, what he's reminding Christians in authority, is that they have a master in heaven to whom they will have to give an account. So Paul's essentially saying the same thing. Even masters rule unto the Lord. Masters, when you go out these doors tonight, bosses, managers, leaders in the workplace, you are going out still under the authority of Jesus. You're not only under his authority here. And because rulers must rule unto the Lord, they must do so with justice and with fairness, with righteousness and equality. That's what those words mean. The word for fairness is only used one other place in the Bible in 1 Corinthians, and it speaks of an equality of sides. So he's saying that you must treat your bondservants not as though they are inferior in status to you. Treat them as equals. And let's reflect on, I think, at least three points of application from Paul's exhortation to masters. And the first is this, that no one is above the law. No one is above the law. Those in positions of authority, whether that be in the church, the workplace, government, or at home, all face the temptation to think that the authority they exercise resides in themselves. That's the temptation those in authority face. And it's a subtle temptation to think that the authority we have is owed us, that the authority we have is deserved, that it originated with us. And so when one gives into that unbiblical and sinful thought, it allows one to subtly think that we can bend the rules, since I'm the one really in charge. I'm the one who created these rules. Start to believe that they are above the law, that the laws by which they govern don't govern them, don't apply to them, that they are above the law. They believe that their ability to force themselves upon others is what gives them the right to do so, summarized by that phrase, might makes right. That's the temptation of leadership in having authority over, over others. And to such an attitude, Paul soberly reminds us, remember, you also have a master in heaven. It's not you. And the one who rules will have to give an account for the way they treated those under their care. One commentator summarizes this point quite well by saying, slave owners might pride themselves on their position in society and in the household, and they would naturally be very tempted to abuse that position at times. But Christian slave owners need to remember that they are answerable to a higher master, the Lord Jesus. They are, in fact, slaves themselves, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 7.22, where he says, For those who were slaves when called to faith in the Lord are the Lord's freed people. Similarly, those who were free when called are Christ's slaves. Those in positions of authority, that's your identity. You are a slave to Christ. And so rule and exercise authority with that in mind. You're not above the law. That's the first thing I think we learn from this. And secondly, we learn that Christian employees, those under our authorities who proclaim Christ as king, they are more than bond servants. They're not merely employers, employees. Sorry. So while Paul's exhortation applies, whether one is in charge of non-Christians or Christians, 
There is something significant to note about the way that Christians relate to Christians within the workplace. They are more than employees. They are not mere resources paid for by the company like printers and light bulbs. They are more than bond servants. Take a look at verses 4 to 9 of chapter 4. Sorry, verses 7 to 9 of chapter 4. Paul is wrapping up his letter and he mentions Tychicus. He says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Now, Onesimus, we know from the book of Philemon, Onesimus is the bondservant of Philemon. And Paul doesn't refer to him here as a bondservant. He refers to him as a beloved brother, a fellow worker. And he's now going to Colossae, possibly going back to his master. And quickly, if you can, quickly turn to Philemon, where we see the way Paul encourages Philemon in this regard. Philemon is wedged between Titus and Hebrews. It's just one page of your Bibles. Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. He's sending the bondservant back to the master. And this is what he says in verse 16. Receive him no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. What Paul is saying here in this this little sentence is he's saying, Master, the way that you see your bondservant who's a Christian is you don't relate to him primarily as a bondservant. You don't relate, relate to him primarily as an employee. You relate to him first and foremost, and most significantly, as a Christian brother, someone that you serve the Lord Jesus Christ with. So often we allow our work to get in the way, and we think with a merely worldly way. We think that the world's standards are the standards by which we should be living, forgetting that in Christ and by the Spirit we've made a new family. Those who serve under us are more than employees. They are beloved brothers. So that's how Christians in authority and management ought to view Christian brothers and sisters under their care. They aren't your brothers and sisters on Sunday, but then down to business on Monday. Now they're just your employees. They are more valuable to you as partners in the gospel than as employees and people under your authority. So treat them accordingly. So that's the second thing we learn here, that bond servants who are Christian brothers and sisters are more than bond servants. But then finally, as we bring this to a close, the final point of application is that Christ is our master in heaven. That's what Paul is really saying throughout the whole book of Colossians. But especially in this section, he refers to the Lord in nearly every single verse. The whole point of this passage is about living in light of the lordship of Jesus. And he's been exhorting us to live unto the Lord whether it be a Sunday or any other day of the week, whether you're a wife, husband, child, parent, slave or master, live unto the Lord. Put on Christ every day. Form a Christ-centered worldview. Look to the glorious realities of heaven and bring your life on earth in conformity with the reality of heaven. That's what Paul has been saying all along. Remember the first two verses of chapter 3 in Colossians. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So when Paul now, in chapter 3, verse 22, addresses earthly masters, he makes an important note to point them to their heavenly master. He's putting things really into perspective. That is what it means to be a Monday Christian. It means to pray not only on Sundays, but every day that God's will be done on earth as in heaven. Think with a heavenly mindset. See the world through heaven's eyes. Let Christ be the lens through which you live your life, whether it be Sunday or any other day of the week. Let the gospel that you believe has started transforming your life, work grace in your heart, and influence, um, influence that grace to show grace to others. May businesses be transformed by this heavenly mindset. May Christian companies not only be Christian in name, but in reality, so that the rule of heaven will be manifest on earth. That's the theology that Paul has. That's the theology that we should have. The one who created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1 verse 1, will one day bring those previously divorced parties into a glorious marriage feast when the Lamb returns, and we celebrate the coming of heaven to earth in this unity. So workers and rulers, as you look to Christ and as you live unto the Lord, let us pray that we will not only be Sunday Christians, but Monday Christians too. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that when you came to earth, you inaugurated your kingdom, you proclaimed that the kingdom of God was at hand. We thank you that now you rule from heaven and you have established your church as an embassy and an outpost of your kingdom to live out the rule of heaven on earth so that your will would be done. And I pray that we as workers and those under authority, as those in positions of leadership and management, that we would live unto you that as we conclude this service, as we go out these doors, we wouldn't forget that you are Lord of all and you are Lord of every aspect of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.